Hey, church. I um, remember when I was a kid, I used to love summer more than any other time of year. Anybody else love summer? Yeah, school's out, all that good stuff. But the reason that I loved summer so much was that every summer for a couple of weeks, I would get to make a trip to my grandparents' house. And they lived on Lake Carnico in Carlisle, Kentucky. And so I would get to go hang out with them for a couple weeks. And as soon as I got there, I would call my cousin, Justin, who I only got to see that one time a year because he lived there in the town where they lived. And we would just hang out on this huge property on the lake for two weeks, just going nuts, looking for arrowheads that my grandpa told us were there. And I'm still not sure they really were, if that was just to get us out of the house. I don't know. We would hang out on the lake, canoeing, swimming, fishing, just building tree houses. And the cool thing about the tree houses was you could tell how good we were at building them because every year when we came back, we built another tree house, which means obviously it didn't last that long, you know, had elevators in them and everything counterweighted with concrete blocks. It was awesome. Um, but my favorite part besides my grandma's mashed potatoes was that a couple of days during my stay, I would get to go to work with my grandpa. And my grandpa worked about an hour and a half away from his house at another lake called Cave Run Lake in the mountains of eastern Kentucky. And we would pass through all these little tiny cities on the way there. And finally we would get there. And I don't, I don't know if it was just the fact that every once in a while I'd see a bear on the porch or if it was getting to take a nap in the loft of his A-frame or if it was the hammock in the backyard or if it was just seeing my 75-year-old grandpa like trucking through the mountains like it was nothing. I don't know what it was, but something about those mountains did something inside of me. Like, has anybody just experienced the mystique and majesty of just being out in the mountains? Anybody else just love that experience? There's just something about it. And I think it's those childhood experiences that ripened me, had me ready about 20 years later when two new shows were released on Discovery Channel. Man vs. Wild and Survivor Man. And when those shows came out, it was like it, it like awakened that kid who used to go to work with his grandpa. And the two guys on there, one's named Les Stroud on Survivor Man. And the one on Man vs. Wild, who's my favorite, is Bear Grylls. And I was like, man, I don't look, I just, the thing, you know the thing inside of you that makes you look up to people? It's always been sort of muted in me. Like, I just, I've never easily done that like i've never easily looked up to people for some reason but when i saw bear grills i was like that that is the man i want to be like bear grills and so i went out check this out my buddy and i we bought i got a camp mat here um about this this is awesome this only weighs like a couple of pounds and it inflates it's like the most comfortable bed you'll ever sleep in it's awesome um i've got a, a dry sack to keep all my stuff dry because you don't want your stuff to get wet it's lame, but I've got, uh, let's see, this is a dry sack for me. It keeps me dry. It's a rain jacket in here. It's awesome. Um, I'll see how small all this stuff is. It's really cool. I've got a pillow here that'll fit inside my pocket, but if I can blow it up and it's like normal size pillow, it's awesome. Um, I've got, let's see here, mosquito repellent. That's really important for me. 
I've got, this is the coolest camp stove in the history of earth. This thing will boil two liters of water in about a minute and a half, two minutes. Awesome. You just turn it on and you're rocking and rolling a few minutes with some boiling water. It's so cool. Um, and of course, the spork. You've got to have a spork if you're going to be out there. Or um, a phone, as I used to call it when I was a kid. This thing's really important because it allows you to consume the food that you fix in the nice little cook pot there. It's awesome. All this stuff, right? And so me and my buddy are like, okay, we're going to go to the mountains. We're going to rough it for a couple of days. And we're going to learn how to be like Bear Grylls. It's going to be awesome. So we do all this research. We figure out there's this place called the Indian Staircase at the Red River Gorge in Kentucky. Anybody ever been there? Indian Staircase? Okay, perfect. I can lie about how scary it is. Awesome. That's good. So we get there, and this is like the scariest place on earth. Because it's, we've started way too late. It gets dark on us when we're halfway up the mountain. And when we finally get to the Indian staircase, unfortunately and surprisingly, it really is an Indian staircase, which means it's a sheer rock face about 45 feet high. And it has little divots in it where if you have some skill and some experience and it's daylight and you've got on hiking boots, you can just kind of go up it without any equipment. Um, it's a, it, it is kind of a staircase, I guess, but we get there and it is pitch dark. We've got one flashlight between us. We've got 45 pounds a piece on our back. We've got on cheap shoes that aren't good for climbing. And we're staring at a 45 foot rock face with little, you know, concave places in it that we're supposed to walk up. And we're like, man. We can't do this. So with our tails tucked between our legs, we turn around to leave this mountain only to discover that we can't really leave either because we are lost and we can't find the hole we came in. So we spend the next two hours lost in the woods, scared like little kids, trying to figure out how to get back to civilization. And the reason that we ran into that problem, the reason that we weren't able to go up there and conquer that mountain is because all the camp mats, all the dry sacks and pillows and rain jackets and mosquito repellent, stoves and sporks in the world cannot turn me into Bear grills. Like it cannot happen. It can make me look like I know what I'm doing. It can even make me feel like I have what I need to go out there and do a good job. But it can never turn me into an outdoorsman. It just doesn't work that way. Something deeper has to happen. And when we turn to Matthew 5, we discover Jesus saying something very similar to this. Matthew chapter 5. It says that seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. Now, if you are, if you are part of the people that Matthew's writing to, if you are a Hebrew person in the first century 
and you are familiar with Jewish customs and you have grown up going to the temple and you have grown up learning um, about the Torah and the writings and the prophets and you understand what has happened in the course of Jewish history. When you hear the word mountain, it brings to your mind certain points in your nation's history. It brings to mind, first of all, a mountain called Mount Sinai. Anybody ever heard of Mount Sinai? Mount Sinai is the birthplace of the nation of Israel. Because at that mountain, God delivered to them their national charter. He delivered to them the treaty that would set in motion this relationship between Yahweh and his covenant people Israel. And so at that moment, when they received that treaty, when they received that covenant, when they received that charter through Moses, they become officially a nation that is to be known as the people of God, the people of Yahweh, the one who is. That's Israel's history. That's their forming moment. And check this out. This law, this Torah, doesn't just teach them how to live. It doesn't just provide them with laws of conduct it doesn't just form character in them although it does all those things it also serves as the means by which they will demonstrate to all the nations what their god is like so by keeping torah it will become clear to all the nations surrounding them it will become clear to all the sojourners who come into their land that they are a special people set apart with a great wisdom provided by their God, Yahweh. And so if you're one of these people that Matthew's writing to, and you hear Jesus went up on a mountain, all this stuff's going to come rushing back to you. You're going to be filled with this knowledge of this is what happens on mountains if you're in Israel. You'll also know that on the high places, there are lots of fake gods hanging out. And people are going up and doing fake worship on these high places. You'll also know that in the center of the city, the capital city, Jerusalem, there is a mount. And on that mount stands the temple where Yahweh's presence is supposed to be, where Yahweh's presence once was, but where Yahweh's presence is no longer. So all these things are going to rush to your mind as Jesus goes to the top of a mountain and you hear this word mountain, especially because if we were to visit the place, we would see that it's really more of a hill. But Matthew calls it a mountain in order to hearken to our memory all these things in the history of Israel. And so Jesus goes up on this mountain and when he does this, he begins to pronounce a blessing upon the folks who are listening. Now, if we were to go back to Deuteronomy and we were to read through it, what we would find out is that blessing equals having possession of the land, living freely in the land, living as a people who are a blessing to the other nations in the land. It doesn't mean being occupied by Rome. It doesn't mean having a temple without the presence of God. It doesn't mean being sort of a second class citizen in your own country. But that's the world that these people are living in. But Deuteronomy tells them if they obey Torah, if they keep the law, they will be under the blessing of God. And so here comes Jesus. Check this out. 
He opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth or the land. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And what we're going to discover, if we flip back like two pages, we're going to find out that a very significant event has just occurred. And it's this event that catapults Jesus into his earthly ministry. You know, his cousin John the Baptist has just been arrested. And the reason that he's been arrested is for announcing the coming of the kingdom. The reason he's been arrested is because he's making a little bit too much noise. The leaders fear revolt. And when those kinds of fears start creeping up, the person has to be put away because the fear of the Romans is a little bit too much for the Jewish leaders to put up with. And so they politically figure it out to get him arrested. He's, he's put away. And Jesus goes off and prays and he comes and he calls his disciples. And immediately he goes up on the mountain and delivers a sermon on the mount. And when we get to the Sermon on the Mount, what we're going to discover is that Jesus is calling them blessed, even though they're living under the curse. See, Deuteronomy offers a blessing for keeping Torah, but it also offers a curse for disobeying Torah. It's a two-edged sword. And they're living without the presence of God. They're living in enemy-occupied territory that used to be called their home. How could that be described as blessing? Well, if you ask Jesus that question, he's going to say, hi, I'm Jesus and I am the blessing of God and I am here. So you're blessed. A new way of being has arrived. I have brought heaven to earth with me and nothing will ever be the same again. And at that moment, he begins to reintroduce them to Torah. He begins to reintroduce them to the law of God that was once delivered on the mountain through Moses. He's now delivering on the mountain to his disciples. You see, an an eschatology had begun to form in the nation of Israel. Eschatology, that's a big fancy word for end times beliefs. And the Pharisees who were in charge had read Deuteronomy. That's a good thing to do, read Deuteronomy. They had understood that keeping God's law would bring about God's blessing so that at the right time, God would send a deliverer who would establish Jerusalem as the center of the universe from which God's glory would emanate to all the nations. In Jerusalem, Israel would become the most prosperous nation on earth. They would become the center of the world economically. They would become the center of the world intellectually. They would become the center of the world spiritually. Israel would become 
what Rome seemed to be at the time. If they would keep Torah. And so the Pharisees, you know about the Pharisees, man. They were so serious about this that they went as far as to create extra laws to build fences around the laws that were already in the Torah. I mean, they were really, really careful. Even down to the clothes that they wore, every thread had to be of a certain type. I mean, they were serious about it. And they were trying to usher in this era of blessing. This era of the Messiah, this era of the Christ, when Israel would be the center of God's blessing in the whole world. That's what they wanted. And by keeping Torah, they were going to accomplish that. Well, here comes Jesus. And Jesus comes with this reminder. Hey, let me tell you about Torah. Torah is about loving God and loving people. Torah is about becoming those who know how to love God, who know how to love people. And he starts this love message. And we've all heard that. We've all heard Jesus is about love, right? It wasn't a new idea. That's the bottom line of Torah. It always had been the bottom line. So when Jesus comes and starts talking about love, well, a lot of people start thinking, well, if it's all about love, then it doesn't matter how I act, right? Like if it's all about love, then I can do what I want as long as I don't hurt anybody. If it's all about love, then my behavior kind of becomes a secondary issue. And even now, like in contemporary circles, you'll have people with these different ideas of Jesus. And I want to kind of talk about a couple of them. The first one is what I call hippie Jesus. Okay? And hippie Jesus is this notion of Jesus that people have where, like, as long as we're all nice to each other, like, as long as we don't um, do anything wrong that actually directly hurts somebody, we, we can do whatever we want. So we can all hold hands and sing, I got you, babe, to the tune of Amazing Grace. And if we can just do that, everything's fine. I've got you, babe. I've, you know, like it's got it. Fine. Hippie Jesus. And that Jesus is a false Jesus. But it's not an uncommon notion in people's minds. Some of you might have a hippie Jesus in mind when you, when you worship him. And another false Jesus... Is public access channel Jesus, what I like to call him. He's that guy on the public access channel that has like a camera in his living room and he just yells out all the different things that everybody does wrong. Has everybody seen that guy before? Is it just in my town? Every town I've ever been in, public access guy. It's awful. But a lot of people have this idea that's who Jesus is. Well, Jesus just, he wants to be the mean teacher with the yardstick and every time we do anything a little unscrupulous, He's going to reach over with the yardstick and pop us in the arm. Kind of like my grandma used to stab me with a fork if I reached across the table at dinner time. I don't do it anymore, man. I'm serious stuff. But that, that is a false Jesus as well. The real Jesus comes. And what he says, I want you to hear this. This is big time stuff. He starts talking about the law. First of all, he says, you guys have to keep the law because you're salt and light. If you don't keep the law, nobody's going to know what God's like. And so nobody's going to care about how to love him and how to love each other. You have to demonstrate that by the way you keep Torah. You have to do that. But then he says this. He says, don't think in verse 17 that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. Don't think I've come to do that. I have not come to abolish them. But to fulfill them. 
For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, I just told you about the scribes and Pharisees, man. They take this law thing seriously. To the point of building laws around the laws to keep you from getting close to messing up. I mean, serious stuff. In the following segments, Jesus is going to reintroduce Torah. He's going to reintroduce what it means to be those who love God and love people. And what we're going to discover is that as he does that, he's not going to ask us to take up a stricter interpretation. What he's going to do is he's going to push Torah deeper into our hearts. He's not going to come up with more rules But he's going to take the law and he's going to begin to just apply pressure and get the law all the way down into the deepest parts of our heart. Because Jesus understands that all the rules in the world can never make you righteous. Jesus understands all the church attendance in the world, all the going and doing some service one night a week in the world. All the kind words in the world can never make you righteous. Just like a fancy pillow can make me think I'm going to be able to rough it for a couple of days. It cannot turn me into Bear grills, But something deeper has to happen. Something has to change about the very core of who we are. And he's going he's gonna to explain that, and he's going to explain it using a couple of different examples. And we'll just look at a couple of them, and you can do this at home. You can look at the Sermon on the Mount and see how he just pushes the law deeper every time. But let's look at a couple of them. Verse 21, he talks about anger. He says, you've heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you... That everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So do you see how on one level we've got murder that we all know is wrong. Jesus takes that and he pushes the idea that the law presents deeper down into our hearts to expose not just our outward deeds, but the inward reality of our very identity. So it's not stricter. The law still says don't murder, but he pushes it deeper so that we can't just like put a video camera on ourselves and then watch the tape. And if nothing happens on that tape that's simple, then we know we did okay. We have to gaze into the deepest parts of our heart 
and find out what's going on in this place where nobody else can see. What's going on in this place where only we get to watch? He does it with a couple of other a couple of other ideas. He does it with lust. He says, you've heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So he doesn't create a new rule. He doesn't come with some sort of a stricter code, but he pushes it deeper down into our hearts to expose what we're really like. He does it with divorce and oaths and retaliation. He even does it with probably the most sensitive issue that he could have spoken about with his Jewish audience. Love your enemies to a people occupied by an imperial force. To love your enemies could be the most difficult and humiliating task anyone could ever be assigned. But he doesn't bring a stricter code. He just pushes the law deeper down into the hearts of his listeners so that he can expose to them their true condition. See, like when the Pharisees are trying to keep the law I think we get kind of a false idea about what they were up to. I think a lot of times like we get in our mind that they were trying to, like, if they keep enough laws, they get to go to heaven. So we've kind of taken our ideas about that and pushed it back on them. Like that's, what they were, that's not what they were trying to do. What they thought was, if we as a community keep the law enough, heaven will come here. And they were right. I mean, that was... That's what the scripture said. If if we keep the law, it will usher in this era when God rules the world from Israel, the very center of the universe. And his glory is going to radiate everywhere from right here. And we're going to be the center of his blessing economically. We're going to be the center of his blessing spiritually, intellectually. This is going to be a happening place. God's blessing will be here if we keep Torah. The problem is they couldn't. The problem is not one person in the history of Israel, had ever been faithful to God's law. Because when push comes to shove, they love themselves more than God. And they love themselves more than each other. Just like you do. Just like I do. We are broken. And we can play pretend. Like we can run around and go to church on Sundays. We can go serve. We can go say nice things to each other. We can smile real big and shake hands. We can do all those things. But all the rule-keeping in the world will never form the love of Christ in our hearts. All the rule keeping in the world will never make us righteous. And so Jesus, the God man, came and did what Israel couldn't do. And he faithfully did not abolish, but fulfilled Torah. He loved perfectly throughout his entire life. Even as he was persecuted, spat upon, and beaten because he proclaimed a coming kingdom that was greater than the kingdom that was in his time. He persevered through that in love and rightness. And because of that, he ushered in this era of blessing on the nation of Israel, which is all those who have placed their faith in Him. Hopefully you and I. And so, 
we don't, we don't keep this Torah that's in our hearts in order to go to heaven. We keep this Torah that's in our hearts in order to bring heaven here. So that the nations can look on and see that we love each other. See that we love God. And recognize a better way of being and doing that comes from being in Christ. And Jesus doesn't introduce us believers to a stricter code. But what he does is he takes Torah and he presses it deeper into our hearts. In the person of the Holy Spirit who gives us life. And the Holy Spirit becomes this beacon. Announcing to the nations. And announcing, first of all, in our own hearts, you are a child of God. You are a lover of God. You are a lover of other people. So that from now on, we're not just in Christ, but Christ is in us. And each of us becomes the center of his blessing. Each of us becomes the temple of his presence. Each of us becomes the place where the glory of God is no longer missing from the temple. But the temple is full of his radiance. As the Holy Spirit takes up residence in our hearts. So when Jesus says, you are blessed, you are blessed, you are blessed, you are blessed, you are blessed. No matter how difficult these circumstances appear. No matter how different from your expectations life has begun to reveal itself to be. You are blessed. Because you are in Christ. And he has fulfilled the expectations of Torah. And he has given us a hope that lasts. Because it's not built upon. Our shoddy attempts at carrying out acts of obedience. But it's built upon his rightness of character that begins to show itself in our lives over time. It's kind of like when I was a kid, my dad, he was a, um, he was a lawn care specialist when I was little. He owned a lawn care business. It was awesome. Like I love to go to work with my dad just like I love to go to work with my grandpa. But kind of the tough thing about a dad that's a lawn care specialist is... It's kind of lame when you have to do yard work when your dad's a lawn care specialist. Because, I mean, expectations are pretty high. You've got to get it right. So there was one time he just didn't like the way the yard looked. So he just took the whole thing back to dirt. Got rid of all the grass. We had a whole yard of just dirt. And he said, son, I've got to go run some errands. When I get back, I want this tilled. And he started the tiller for me, and I started tilling the yard. So I tilled the front yard. I tilled the backyard. Um, then I got done, and I was sitting on the porch sipping some Gatorade, and my dad pulls back up. When he gets out of his truck, he kind of goes over to the grass. He gets down with his fingers and starts feeling the dirt, just kind of checking it out. And he gets up, and he says, son, you see how far I was able to go in that dirt about right here? He says, that ain't deep enough. He says, if you want this lawn to be healthy... You're going to have to slow it down, and you're going to have to cut deep. You're going to have to slow it down, and you're going to have to cut deep. And the same thing the same thing's true of us. Like, aren't we good at going through the motions, trying to become like Christ? We get up in the morning, we have our quiet time. Hey, I did it, Lord. Got that done. That's like next we say a couple of prayers. Got it, Lord. We go to church. Did it, Lord. For me, I go down to the bridge on Tuesday nights. Did that, Lord. I served people. Hey, Lord, I preached a sermon. I did it. But all those acts will never 
make us righteous. But we have to become those through constant decision making, through constant intentional formation of character, through constant yielding to the Holy Spirit in our hearts. We have to become those for whom it is second nature to love each other and love God. We have to become those for whom the instantaneous response in a time of trouble is a response of love and kindness. We have to become those for whom the nations can look to and see what God is like. We have to begin to prepare ourselves to spend eternity in a place where everyone is perfect. I don't know about you guys. Listen, but if I went to heaven, if I, if, I went to, if I went to the end when everybody's perfected and we're hanging out with Jesus, as I am right now, I would stick out like a sore thumb. Can you imagine how embarrassing it would be to show up in, in, in our sin? To show up in our inadequately formed character? And I think like, we kind of get it in our minds. It's always going to happen automatically. Like we're going to die and we're going to wake up and we're going to be like Jesus. Like we have to apply the grace of Christ in our lives now in order to prepare ourselves for an eternity of living as the righteous ones of God. Not so, not so we can go to heaven, but so that heaven can radiate through us. 